You are entering the Freedom Hut. The Democrat plan, make America miserable again. Theodore Roosevelt statue is coming down here in New York City. Cancel Yale gains a lot of steam online. Plus, a noose found in NASCAR driver's garage stall. The truth about the Trump rally over the weekend. And NPR says cars are now right-wing weapons. Coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One call Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. An honor and a privilege, as always, to get a chance to speak to you all across the country, all across the nation, and in some cases, all around the world. What's up, Team Buck Global? So we are in a fight, a fight that we should have been expecting all along. In fact, I don't find this even the least bit surprising, uh, the ferocity, the nastiness. It's just the tactics and the timing that perhaps has caught some of us off guard. What really are the Democrats trying to accomplish right now? And let's understand, this is a Democrat movement. This is not something that we should just generally refer to as protesters. We should not allow this to be uh, somehow taken off the ledger of American politics that would go under the Democrat side. What's happening right now is a Democrat cultural and political revolution. And that's why they're adopting the very tactics of revolutionaries past. In fact, much of the same rhetoric. And some of this has been a repetition of what we've seen. I've been mentioning this to you for weeks now. The Occupy Wall Street movement, the first Black Lives Matter movement, the uh, Antifa in the early months of the Trump presidency. They've recycled a lot of what we've seen before, but the additional reasons for their power and their rise right now are we are going through a pandemic that has empowered government beyond what would have been our wildest dreams even six months ago. Nobody could have thought uh, or perhaps we should have, but nobody did think that we would go through so much tyranny with barely a peep from the general public, it seems, about what's happening, about the seizure of rights, the virtual suspension of the Constitution. People don't seem very much bothered by this at all, but there was a tremendous amount of rage that was bottled up over time. Anger and frustration and 40 million plus lost jobs and the lack of human contact and the misery and the lies from the government, the transparent and obvious lies that we have been forced to stomach. And then you add all of that to a period of political lunacy from the left, the anti-Trump delusion, the the anti-Trump derangement syndrome that's out there. You put these things together and you have a very combustible mix and we are dealing with the explosion right now. It's best that we understand that. It's best that we are clear about how we got to this point. And we see that we are up against a very tenacious and a very challenging enemy here. If Donald Trump has one tagline that is most associated with them, it is, of course, the initial campaign slogan of 2016, make America great again, which has now transitioned into keep America great. But I think a lot of us still have a much greater affinity for the original one. Make America great again. That's 
where the president has positioned himself right now. He talks about, he told me in the Oval Office but a few weeks ago about his plan to transition us to greatness, that we were going to get back the America that we had become used to for three years with Donald Trump as president. But now we see the Democrats have taken up the opposite side of that bargain, and they have no shame about it. The Democrats have decided that the inducement of misery, that widespread dissatisfaction, despair, rage, division on cultural, class, race, ethnic lines, whatever they can do to exacerbate any sore points in the American polity, whatever they can do to make us hate each other, mad at each other, and just feel like things are going poorly. That's what they're going to do. None of the proposals that Democrats are talking about right now, you'll notice that none of the things that are of interest to rational, reasonable people as ways to really bring about a better country, that's not what they're focused on. The Democrats don't care about that. They're not trying to fix all of these problems. They're proposing things that are even more divisive. They want further lockdowns because of COVID. They want more statue toppling. They want less police, more defund police, and a greater leeway for criminals on the streets to terrorize law-abiding people of all races, backgrounds, creeds, and colors. That's the position of the Democrat Party right now because they understand that they can't inspire. There's nothing inspirational about their Marxism, their leftism, their revolutionary rhetoric, which is so empty when you push on it a bit. What do they really want? Who are we going to replace with all these statues? Are we just going to have Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton statues? Well, Bill Clinton might be a bit too me too'd. But who's going to be acceptable to celebrate in the public sphere when they're done? We'll talk more today about who the latest cancellation figures are, who they're going after, the the explosion of this movement and the expansion of the targets just keeps going with every day. But remember this, the Democrats do not present you with ideas to make you happier and freer. They present you, if you are a Trump supporter, if you are a moderate, if you are not a part of the left wing base of the Democrat party, a party, they present you with a poorer less free, less happy, less safe America. And they want that right now. They, they are actively rooting for failure. I'm not shy about this. I'm going to say it. They want this country to suffer because in their minds, that's the only way that they, that they can force us to expunge the sin of the Trump presidency. And that is a sin for which they will not give us forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness. There will be penance required of us. They will demand that we suffer because we we and they don't care that there are people who are going to suffer that didn't vote for Trump. Collective guilt, collective suffering. This is the order of the day for the Democrat Party. This is what they believe in. They want all of us to go through this. They want all of us to be caught up in this. And yes, there are people who are chanting for it. Yes, there are people that believe the police are the enemy and that bringing back what is really just critical race theory stretching from the 1960s and 1970s, that race is the single defining characteristic of everything in our society. More so than anything else, race influences our ideas, our politics, our culture. And that the only way to confront this is to accept that anyone who is white in America has an original sin, again, one for which they must be punished. It's not even enough to bend the knee. You have to suffer. 
And our communities are going to suffer. Our cities are on the decline. The American metropolis is something that will be looked upon fondly in the future as a period of history, a period of time when we could all live together with declining crime rates, with increases in household wealth, with overall prosperity, better, cleaner streets, better, cleaner uh, services. You know, th- this was what we were seeing for the last 20 years, not in some Democrat cities, but there were some major ex- ex- exceptions to it. Things were going pretty well. We'll look back on that and realize that this was all taken from us and it was taken by choice. And the Democrats are willing to burn down the village in order to save it. And that's what they're doing right now. If they can't have control of America, no one can. And if they can't find a way to get control by promising better ideas and a better future, they'll just make this one so miserable that people will be desperate to vote for an empty suit and a nothing as a leader like Joe Biden. It doesn't matter anything but what we have right now. Bring the country to its knees and then make it vote for someone other than the person who they will claim is responsible for all of this misery. Meanwhile, if we had serious adults in positions of power in the media and the Democrat Party in corporate America, we would all be coming together saying, how do we get back to our lives as quickly as possible, as effectively, as safely as possible right now? We should be entirely focused on the transition to greatness or just the transition to normalcy, which would feel pretty great these days. But instead of looking at the 40 plus million Americans without jobs, instead of looking at the millions of small businesses that may never reopen again, entire sectors of the economy that are at risk permanently and finding solutions for this because there are lives in the balance, futures, happiness, health, all of it. Instead of focusing on that as a country, what are we what are we doing right now? Drag through another social studies, social justice class, courtesy of the psychotic left. The whole country is focused on this. This benefits no one except the people using it to seize power. This makes everybody feel less safe, less proud, less free in America who isn't a part of this radical movement. Small price to pay as far as they see it. This gives them an opportunity to do what they've been seeking to do all along, humiliate their enemies, because you see, you have to remember at a very fundamental level, Donald Trump is largely felt as a humiliation by the left, that this man saying the things he does, believing the things he does, could turn the Republican Party away from the McCainism and Romneyism of the past, just, you know, using the, the poll-tested slogans of the GOP, basically so we can get to progressivism, leftism, and the revolutionary nonsense we see, to, see today just a little bit slower. But we're still going there. But, you know, we'll, we'll beg forgiveness a few times along the way so the New York Times doesn't savage our leadership quite the same way they do with Trump. But that was a... An unforgivable sin. The rise of Trump is something for which we have to be punished. In fact, we have to be humiliated. That is their plan. They are not looking for for converts, my friends. They are seeking heretics to burn at the stake, so to speak. The left is not trying to make friends with you. They don't want a concession. They don't want to convince you. They don't want to bring you along to their side. They are true far-left radicals. 
And they run the they run the Democratic Party right now. So we can either accept that they are motivated by a lust for power, a rage against what is good and true and right and righteous. And we can fight back. We can be the wartime conservatives of whom I often now speak on this show and understand that we should not bend the knee, bake that cake, use the made up pronouns. We should not do this. Or we can just hope that Donald Trump is able to carry the entire movement on his shoulders and beat all of this back by himself. Uh, by himself. I, I worry that that's the plan for a lot of people. It's tough out there right now. There's a lot of risk in speaking out. There's a lot of risk in being honest and standing up for your principles and trying to promote and trying to organize conservative and constitutional ideas. Even just reason. And rationality is under assault. Evidence, rule of law, these things are being discarded. Fundamental tenets of Western civilization have come under full-scale assault by the left. And what do we do? Not nearly enough. I think more and more people are coming over to my side on this from the right and understanding that the time to fight back is now. We can't wait until September to figure out that this is all political, that this is all planned, this is coordinated, this is part of a movement by the left to seize power and have created the underlying political conditions through all the silencing and the canceling to force us, to bend us to their will once they have puppet Biden in place. Do you want to live in a country where you have freedom? Do you want to live in a country where you're allowed to say things that you should be able to say because they are true? Or do you think it's just better to hide, to duck down, to run for cover? This is the decision we're all making every day right now. And if we're going to rely on others to fight this battle for us entirely, we will lose. And Joe Biden will be president and the Democrats will take this Senate unified government at a time of left wing mass hysteria, viciousness and score settling. How do you think that's going to look in 2021? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So who's the latest in the list of cancellations? Oh, my. An expanding list with one very, very big name that the left is clearly going to celebrate as an enormous victory for their side. Uh, you have. Oh, let me see here. Who are the, who are the latest to get canceled? Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Monmouth University is going to rename a building that has been called the Woodrow Wilson Center or something like that. In France, Voltaire, perhaps the greatest and most beloved French language writer, at least globally speaking, uh, he's getting canceled. Saint Junipero Serra, or I guess it's Junipero Serra, canceled. Albert Pike, canceled. Ulysses S. Grant, canceled. And oh yes, that's right, the one that's getting a lot of attention right now, a statue of Theodore Roosevelt out in front of the New York Museum of Natural History, that also has got to go. That decision's already been made. This is not even the mob pulling it down. You see, the mob works in concert with the establishment and institutional left. The mob is not doing these things on its own. We've seen political and revolutionary movements in the past 
adopt a very similar position. This is what you should be expecting. The Democrat Party is just the entity for the political concessions to come through, right? The Democrat Party is there ready to seize power. But the vanguard of the far left, the shock troops, they're doing all of these things knowing that they're trying to get the Democratic Party more. That's why fundamentally this is an anti-Trump movement. This is all about power. This is not about what's right. It's not about all of a sudden a moral awakening in the country. Think of this a bit like the IRA in Ireland and Sinn Féin. And this is true of many places. You could pick any number of political parties that also have a militant wing. I've been saying for years that Antifa is just the militant wing of the Democratic Party. And they understand that they can go with force and destruction up, up to a certain extent. You know, if Antifa was blowing up town squares and killing a lot of people, that would be harmful to the movement. Do I think that that's beyond the immorality and insanity of Antifa? No, but it's counterproductive to their aims. So what do they do? They use force that goes up to street violence, right? Punching people, throwing bricks, attacking cops, destroying stores. But they're still effectively the militant arm of the Democratic Party. So you have these militants that make these extreme demands and do all of these violent and illegal and destabilizing things. But behind all of it's the Democratic Party there to just sort of pick up whatever they can to use this as leverage. Hey, you know, sorry, America. Nice constitution you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it from our buddies in Antifa, right? Be a shame if something happened, uh, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter might have to come cancel you. But you could just vote Democrat. You could just give us a little more in the Democrat Party and maybe then BLM will stop trying to cancel you, stop trying to ruin your life. I, I wouldn't anticipate that this is ever going to get better unless we stand up to it because it's working. And that's what we all have to understand. They are winning right now. And, you know, people are entitled to their opinions from within the right. Of course, I can't sit here and advocate for free speech and and the freedom to dissent and all this. But if I have one more person tell me, you know, with an email or a message, don't worry, Trump has been expecting all of this. Guys, no, he hasn't. He is not winning right now. We are not tired of winning. We are not winning right now. I think we will be soon if we wake up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that statue, that specific statue, uh, you're right. It does portray a subjugation of Native Americans and African-Americans, and it's not an appropriate statue. What we need to do is have a conversation as a country. We need to have a conversation and go through a process where we have to come to terms with some of our monuments, uh, our, our statues, uh, the names of our streets, the names of our bases, and what's appropriate for our values. Uh, and actually having that conversation, going through that process is really important. Uh, it allows us to educate. Uh, ourselves on our history, uh, educate ourselves uh, on the complicated course that our history has gone through. Uh, we need to go through that process and have that discussion. Uh, that discussion is valuable, but the results of that will also be valuable. Blather. Abject, moronic blather from a New York City councilman there on the Teddy Roosevelt statue coming down. It's been there since 1940 and Roosevelt's family was instrumental in the founding of the New York Museum of Natural History. I used to go there as a kid. In fact, I remember going to birthday parties that were held there 
the coolest thing was they had a giant blue whale that was the actual size of a blue whale suspended from the ceiling. I always remember that. I thought that was really neat. I loved animals as a kid. I still love animals today. Uh, but it was that was that was a museum when I was really young before I could understand what was going on. The Metropolitan Museum of Art, which has paintings and sculptures instead of lots of very large stuffed animals and things like that. Uh, I I was a big fan of the Museum of Natural History. And this statue of Roosevelt, he is on a horse. He is on horseback and there is a Native American and an African-American on both sides of him. Uh, I, I I do not really understand why this is now all of a sudden, although it goes back to 2017, they threw paint on the statue. I mean, the left has been agitating about this for a while. But see, now they're 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 proposing this as just uh, uh, it's just this sculpture. It's just this. They're they're tearing down Churchill. They're tearing down Woodrow Wilson, who's actually a bad guy and a racist, but, you know, he's a Democrat. But they're tearing down uh, Junipero Serra, uh, Juan de Oñate. They're tearing down Voltaire. They're tearing, you know, go to Ulysses Grant, George Washington, for heaven's sakes. They're tearing down all these statues. But this time, the people in power, it's not about pulling the statue down. It's making the decision to remove it. And Democrats, of course, remember, the Democrats are the political party that waits to exploit for power and for their own political ends what the mob and the anarchists and the BLM movement are doing out there in the streets. Right. Their militant wing is terrifying people, destroying things, breaking the law. And the Democrats stand back and say, yes, well, just do what we say and perhaps some of this will stop. We're here to negotiate. We're the civilized ones in this conversation. We, the Democrat Party, we're not Antifa. Yeah. Do they condemn it? Do they take action to stop it? No, of course not. They benefit from it. They like it. Let's be honest. The Democrats like their militant wing. They like the BLM movement. They like Antifa. They think all of this is fantastic. Otherwise, they've got a bunch of, uh, in their leadership ranks, Super old, out of touch, rich white people like Nancy Pelosi, right? Like Joe Biden. And they've got a bunch of of young, up and coming leftists. This is the AOC and, and the squad who most of the country does not agree with on most issues. And that's putting it mildly. And who are just ignorant of economics, of American history, of society. But they've been trained in the left wing agitation and the rhetoric of the diversity and inclusion movement, which isn't about inclusion if you think that some of this stuff is a bad idea, if you think that watering down standards is wrong, if you think that we should have objective metrics irrespective of race for admission into universities or for hiring. No, no, none of that is acceptable. It's inclusive except for ideas that they, de- they deem to be excluded from the conversation. And that's, as we know, the, the continuing reality of this. But let's just go back to this Teddy Roosevelt statue for a second, because this is, dare I say, symbolic of how they're going to approach everything from here on out. They're saying it's just this statue. But if you look at what the New York Times write up of this ruckus is all about, it's much more than just this statue. But they want to see if they can get one time a cancellation of this. Well, then what else can they get canceled about Teddy Roosevelt? What president is safe from their cancellation efforts? It's, it's fascinating, but give it time. Even Barack Obama in time will come under 
stronger criticism if the left, if, if the logic of the left continues to be applied in this way for Obama's opposition to gay marriage as a president, not once but twice running for office. Now, they'll always make excuses for Obama, don't get me wrong, but, you know, when, when you look at where we are now, Anybody who is not woke by today's standards from history, including on the left, including Democrats, can be attacked. No one is safe from it, and that's how the mob likes it. No, no level of heroism, no reform of one's ideas or ideology throughout one's life. You know, if you were born to a family, let's say, that was supportive of slavery and then spent your life as an adult freeing slaves and as an abolitionist, no, sorry. Still, un- still unacceptable even to celebrate that portion that was clearly righteous and moral of one's life. You know, can you celebrate someone's acts, someone's works for what they were without having to take on the defense of, of the individual as a whole? These are, these are real questions that we have to ask now. They tell you that this is all about just the statue of Teddy Roosevelt, And just give it time. They're going to have to Japanese Americans interned by FDR. They're going to have to rename the FDR drive here in New York. You have to rename a whole bunch of things that are currently named for that guy. The uh, the other Roosevelt. Remember, the Roosevelt who didn't intern Japanese Americans is the one who's under under the uh, scrutiny of the left currently. But they're saying it's just the statue. That's a lie. They've already started to make noise about how about how Teddy Roosevelt so if, if you want to say, oh, but just this, just this depiction is bad. Just this depiction is out of touch. That's not what they're going to claim. They'll say this today so that you bend the knee and say, fine, fine, pull this statue. Just as we said, you know what, Confederate generals, those guys fought for the wrong side, and slavery is an evil, and we all know this. So, you know, I knew a lot of people. I knew a lot of conservatives, especially from the North, who were saying, you know, I, I, I kind of understand this. And, and I'm sympathetic to the impulse to fully confront the history of slavery and the Confederacy and the racism there. And I'm sympathetic to that, too. I'm not sympathetic to mobs lopping off the heads of statues that are public property. And I'm not sympathetic to people making demands based upon the implied threat of mob force, even if they are right on the merits of a historical argument, let's say. This should be done through a process. But here in New York, see... Now they are doing it through a process. I know that's going to be the transition. Well, Buck, look at what they're doing. Why do you oppose this? Because they're not being honest about what's going to happen. They're not being honest about what's next. Oh, no, just this statue of Teddy Roosevelt is coming down. But they already say that Roosevelt in his later life was a eugenicist and a, and a, and a racist and a, certainly a colonialist. There's a lot of anger at Roosevelt for the expansion through the Spanish-American War, the expansion of U.S. territories and possessions. People look at the Caribbean, they look at uh, the Philippines, and they say, well, hold, hold on a second here. Teddy Roosevelt was an expansionist, a, a colonialist, so he's a bad guy, too. Well, I just want to know, do, do, we, do we allow the left... To just go straight up Taliban, you will recall it was years ago, perhaps it was, I think, 1996, maybe it was 99, I forget, it was the late 90s, when the Taliban, as part of its cleansing of society, of anything deemed not Islamic enough, destroyed the Buddhas of Bamiyan, which were thousands, these massive Buddhas, thousands of years old, considered a, a global heritage 
site. I mean, considered something that all you know, archaeologists and they, they were a, practically a, a wonder of the world. And the Taliban barbarians came along and they didn't like this and they felt that it was un-Islamic. And so instead of just saying, look, you know, you cannot go check these out for historical reasons or, or religious reasons. They blew them up, mostly with RPGs. They fired RPGs at these statues to destroy them. And they did. I want to know how far we are from liberals effectively arguing that we need to use RPGs to take Teddy Roosevelt's face off of Mount Rushmore. I don't think it's far away. Maybe they won't use RPGs because they're scary, but they'll bring in demolition crews. They'll bring in construction crews. No, no more. But if you're going to take down Teddy Roosevelt, are you going to leave Washington? You, you know, think about this for a moment. Who gets to stay? What president are we allowed to celebrate? And what really ultimately is the purpose of this whole project? It's not to bring us together. It's not for reconciliation and, and national healing. This is all about division. This is about undermining fundamental historical uh, historical figures that were an enormous, that had an enormous impact on the country we live in today and, and our rights and our beliefs and that shared idea that is America canceled, erased. Who are going to be the acceptable statues of the future? You know, it, it is fascinating that this group seems to always leave anybody who is a communist alone. If you're a communist, if you're a Marxist and a, a white Marxist, even no one has any problem with you on the left. The millions and millions of people murdered, the hundreds of millions of people enslaved by the communist system, stripped of all rights, stripped of all autonomy, all freedom, forced to work for the state at gunpoint, forced to have family turn on family, which liberals now are advocating for. Make no mistake about it. They want you to inform on relatives. They're telling young people to call out publicly their own loved ones. Anyone who supports a political ideology more than their own family is morally corrupted and lost. Family first, my friends, always. The left seeks to destroy the family. Why is that? Because there are, there are two pillars of our society that act as a bulwark against the onrushing insanity of the left. Religion and family. Belief in God, a relationship with God, and the understanding that we are all here just for a temporary period, and it goes very quickly. And also that we have a family, that we have people that matter more to us than anyone else in the whole world, that matter more than any political ideology or political party or program of reform. Anyone who's willing to turn on their family because the woke mob says so is lost. And we have to understand that. I don't know if we can bring them back into the light of sanity and normalcy and being reasonable. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. But the mass hysteria that we are seeing now is a function of massive forces that have come together, the COVID pandemic, Democrat hatred of Trump, and also the elites who are desperate to maintain their position, as we were incre increasingly aware in this country, of the massive failure of those in the elite classes. They're also seeking to use this as a moment to build, the, you know, to burnish their credibility with the masses. After what we've seen as, as largely a, a sellout of the American people to 
international corporations, a sellout of the American people to non-citizens who are here illegally. You know, you go down the list. What really is your allegiance to this country if the Democrats have their way? If they can if they can violate laws with impunity, they can dictate to you what you can say. They can tell you to stay in your home. Are you really free? Do you think you're free in this country right now? I think we are going through a massive red pilling. And I will tell you right now, I use the term red pill on my show back in 2012 before I had ever heard of anyone use this before. I'm not saying I was the first, but I was a big fan of the Matrix, always had been. And I know now it's been co-opted by other people, but I said it before. Any of these other groups and any of these other people I see out there were using the term, and those who are original Saturday Squad know that. So hearkening back to what I said in 2012, now eight years ago on this show, I do think that we are going through a massive red pilling. I just don't know if it's too late for those who see this for what it is to be able to rally and stop this movement from doing irreparable damage to the country. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If Joe Biden were to become president, an emboldened left will launch a full-scale assault on American life. You know that. They'll expel anyone who disagrees with them. Look what happens when you disagree. You use a term that's perfect and they're not happy with it. They call you a racist. They call you a horrible person. They want to crush religious liberty. They don't want religion. Silence religious believers. Indoctrinate your children with hateful and vicious lies about our country. Subsidize late-term abortion and after-birth execution. The president is right, so that's good. I mean, he knows what's going on here. He understands what the left is trying to accomplish. But right now, the momentum is against the Trump movement. And the president, look, that executive order on law enforcement last week was a bad idea. And I said it was, and we all know it now. It was feeding the crocodile, hoping it eats us last. Bad move. No more appeasement. No more concessions. The other side is not operating in good faith. Let's all remember that. But then there's also how do we get the Trump message out there more? I'm doing what I can here every day, right? We got hundreds of thousands of people listening to this show and the podcast and the stream all across the country. I'm hoping they share it. I'm hoping you share this show with as many people as you can so they feel like our voice on the right is being heard, that our argument is the correct one. And here's how to make it. This is what this is what I'm trying to accomplish with what I'm doing every day. But I also think the president has to go around the gatekeepers even more. Twitter is not enough. I'm seeing these days all these senators and congressmen have got their own podcasts, which I I would like them to be focusing probably more on legislation than being podcast hosts. But, you know, okay, they're more the merrier, I suppose, in this business. Uh, Why doesn't Trump have a video podcast every day or, you know, a a a video clip he's putting out? Why doesn't Trump just start his own podcast, his own TV channel right now? I mean, if this is what's going to happen, Democrats, Republicans, they're all doing it. The president has to get out there. And give people the message and the inspiration to fight for his side. And we can't rely just on these rallies as we see the Democrats are trying to subvert the rallies using TikTok, the social media platform to take seats 
and tickets for seats that they're never going to actually use. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Biden and the Democrats want to prosecute Americans for going to church, but not for burning a church. They believe you can riot, vandalize, and destroy, but you cannot attend a peaceful pro-America rally. They want to punish your thought, but not their violent crimes. The Trump rally over the weekend was on point when it comes to the messaging. That much is clear, and that's certainly encouraging. But there was a smaller crowd than was anticipated. And the media has made a very big thing of that. There's been a lot of discussion about it. And they're saying, oh, it shows the Trump movement doesn't have quite the same focus, doesn't have quite the same fury and and support this time around. I I don't see that as the case. I just think it's a reminder that we are up against an opposition here. A Democratic Party will do whatever it has to do. And if they can scare people away by physically having psychotic Antifa style protesters at every rally, um, if they can scare people away by saying that it's going to be a covid super spreader. I mean, over the weekend, I tweeted out that I thought CNN was a BS super spreader when they started sharing that story. I think that's certainly true. I, I think that's a very defensible position. CNN is is appalling, as are many of these other liberal networks. But the president understands what the issues are right now. It just doesn't feel like enough is being done. It doesn't feel like the actions are being taken that are necessary for uh, protecting the system as it is. Right. And I mean, the system that keeps us all safe and keeps society functioning every day. Democrats are tearing this down. They're uh, they're vanguard. They're radicals are doing whatever they can to undermine core aspects of our society. The Democratic Party gets to stand behind all this and be like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. But to just bend the knee a little bit more, just vote Democrat and everything will be better. Producer Brandon, if you would please play clip, uh, please play the Trump Biden clip. Joe Biden is not the leader of his party. Joe Biden is a helpless puppet of the radical left. And he's not radical left. I don't think he knows what he is anymore. But he was never radical left, but he's controlled by the radical left. And now he's really controlled. He is controlled by the radical left. The president's right here in saying this. He has no choice. Joe Biden is a machine Democrat politician. He's very old and very white. And that's not going to be good enough for the woke left. That's not going to be acceptable at all. So what does Biden have to do? Whatever the heck they tell him to do. And that's what we are likely to see. But just understand right now that there will be no rules. There'll be no quarter. There'll be no good faith. There'll be no sense of fair play from the left going forward. Just understand that right now. Whoever they have to destroy, whatever they have to, whoever they have to cancel, whatever previously held positions the Democrat Party will have to abandon, all of that. All of that will be done in this effort to defeat Trump, uh, because right now the radical left is ascendant. And if they can get Joe Biden to be the president, then they know that they'll be in a position to 
use this current momentum to the benefit of the Democrat, uh, benefit of the Democrat Party and really the socialist Democrat left. We're not hearing enough about that. There are all these Marxist agitators and organizers running around. That's clear. That's obvious. They'll even say it on video. I mean, this is this is Captain Obvious stuff. Yeah, these are Marxist leftist agitators, uh, but they are using this moment in time as well to push socialist policies. And we should not be surprised as that continues and they add they add to this over time. They, they push even further. So I want us to be very clear about what the stakes are in all of this and what they're willing to do. You know, you have this moment of, of hashtag uh, resistance from the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, which is a very storied uh, prosecutorial office here in New York City. And this guy decided, uh, the, the current U.S. attorney decided that he wasn't, he wasn't going to leave his position because he was an interim appointment. And he said that he wouldn't leave. He would not leave until uh, there was a Senate-confirmed replacement for him. And I just got to tell you, you know, this stuff did not happen. I mean, to my point about how they'll undermine the day-to-day workings of the system, this did not happen under Obama. You never had somebody who was a Republican, long-term public servant, and say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not, you're just not able, you, the attorney general, and with that, really the president, you're not able to fire me right now. No, it turns out that he was able to be fired, that he was fired Uh, The moment that he released this press conference because Attorney General Barr uh, decided that he wasn't going to sit around and allow this nonsense. Jeffrey Berman. um, Jeffrey Berman is the U.S. attorney in question here. And, you know, you have to wonder how much more of this do we have to see before we understand that at the very top of the legal profession. uh, And I mean this for legal public servants, but also at the law firms now. The left has infiltrated them now, too. This idea of George Soros and his foundation and and the money that he spreads around on the left to get these to get radical policies enacted, uh, that they're doing this by pushing for incredibly far left district district uh, attorneys in places like Philadelphia, uh, but also in other places and, and throughout the federal government. I mean, the legal profession has been infiltrated by far-left activists at the very highest level. And this is where you get the much of what we saw with the deep state at the DOJ. They view Trump as a threat to what they believe in, and so they'll take actions that would be unthinkable, even under really a kind of a normal, whatever that means, a normal uh, previous-to-Trump Republican administration. But you're also seeing now that uh, they're just going to refuse they're going to refuse to allow the system to function as it's supposed to. Sally Yates, who is a clear never-Trumper, involved in the targeting of General Flynn, the ridiculous usage of the Logan Act as a pretext for that interview. She was in on all that stuff, and uh, she refused to do her job when it came to the so-called Muslim ban, which the Supreme Court did end up saying was constitutional. She refused to do her job and had to be fired. Now, Jeffrey Berman who wasn't going to be fired from his job at first, at least. Bill Barr let out a scathing, very strong and scathing letter about this whole uh, fiasco. Uh, but, but what Jeffrey Berman did, because it's career-enhancing for him, and it makes him a hero on the left, is pretend, pretend that he is 
um, doing that he's being removed from his job because of ongoing investigations of Trump and Trump associates. That's all you have to do. Then you get on MSNBC. Then you become a hero to the left. Everyone will think of you as someone who has done his part for the hashtag resistance. And we keep seeing this happen. And it is, it's just, you're going to have more of this. Don't think that just because the Russia collusion farce and the Ukraine impeachment fiasco did not work, that the left is giving up any of this stuff, that they're changing their mind about any of this. Don't think that that's happening. It's not. We're just waiting to see who else will come forward. What other, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's are somewhere in the flabby folds of the federal bureaucracy. You know, who else is going to come forward and decide that they have something? Oh, you mean someone, for example, like Bolton? Oh, yes, indeed. Speaking of the legal system and all these uh, bombshell revelations from this Bolton book, I, I, I've got to tell you, Bolton is done. He's done. No intelligent human being will ever give him a job in government again after this. So I guess it's a good thing that he got $2 million. And I would note, you know, people were very nice to him. uh, Very, you know, always putting him on TV over at Fox for many years. And he was treated with with real reverence based on what? I mean, this guy's idea was more troops, more war, more fighting all the time. Words that he was never going to fight it, never has fought it. He's the quintessential arm, not even armchair general, armchair military strategist. Yeah, that's right. Send more of your troops in there. Stay there forever. Fight in Afghanistan forever. And President Trump, I think, had finally had enough of this and got rid of him. Now, Bolton is in some trouble here, I think. His book is effectively already published. So the demands from the White House to pull back its publication are not going to be successful because the book's already out there. I know people with copies of it. I mean, you can't stop this. The horses, the horses left the barn, right? It's all over with that. But it does seem, and a judge has said, okay, fine, he's published his book, but there very well may be classified in there. And I've got to say this. I'm not somebody that believes in being uh, unfair about this, unduly harsh. And I know that the pre-publication review process for people who have had security clearances and have national security responsibilities, I know that it can feel absurd. And it is absurd at some points, at some times. Uh, there's stuff that gets blacked out of these books. You know, they, they, put the, they take the black marker and they, and they erase things. That is, you could find it with two seconds in Google search engine. And it's, it's just nuts. But if you're the national security advisor and you're writing a book while the president you served is still in office, sorry, you got to go through the whole process just like everybody else. The federal government should seize all, should seize all of what Bolton has, um, has received for this book. Assuming that he didn't go through the full publication, pro- pre-publication process, which I think at this point has been established, so they should take the $2 million advance. they got to make an example. If you're not going to make an example of the most recent national security advisor writing a tell-all book, why should someone who served in special operations who wants to write a memoir of combat, or why should somebody who was a, you know, a DIA analyst who wants to write about their time writing memos and making coffee, because I know what that's like, cause that's what I was doing. Uh, Why why should they have to go through all this nonsense if the national security advisor at the very height of the national security apparatus does not have to? Sorry. 
Rules are rules, folks. You know, the libs are pretending it's not the case, but we're not giving up on this. Rules are rules. And if Bolton published classified, he's got to face criminal prosecution for that. You can't do that just because you hate Trump. Hating Trump is not an excuse to erase the rules on classification. So, you know, I mean, here's, for example, the left would normally hate this guy, but right now he's useful to them. Right now, Bolton is their buddy because he says things like this. You described the president as erratic, foolish, behaved irrationally, bizarrely. You can't leave him alone for a minute. He saw conspiracies behind rocks. He couldn't tell the difference between his personal interests and the country's interests. I don't think he's fit for office. I I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle that I was able to discern other than what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. He calls you a traitor. I mean, he's definitely disloyal. And I think you can make a case that, I mean, he's not a traitor. Well, he might have violated the Espionage Act by publishing classified information that's damaging to U.S. national security interests. So that's bad. Other people get called very terrible things and other people go to prison for that. You know, Captain Mustache Bolton over here, he, he thinks that he's just going to get away with this. And I really I think he may be overestimating because he's not a leftist. Right. If a leftist wrote this book, if a Democrat somehow can now he is saying he's going to vote for Biden's and maybe you can argue he's a Democrat now, but he's they hate Bolton on the left. They like him right now for obvious reasons. But this is a, a big change. This is a big switch from what we had been presented with as Bolton in the past. And I, I got to say uh, that you would if you're the national security advisor to a president and you really think he's unfit for office and all and you're going to say all these terrible things about him. The lack of personal loyalty here and the lack of caring about the mission. And just from what I've seen, the excerpts of this book, I don't have a full copy of it yet, but the excerpts that I've seen published are Bolton is so petty and such a prima donna and should never be listened to by anybody ever again about anything. He should go away from the public sphere. He should be done. And I give credit to Tucker Carlson, who had a really contentious interview with Bolton years ago on TV. And Tucker looks like he was spot on with all that. And, you know, Tucker is the single the single most interesting commentary on Fox News right now. In my for my money, no question about it. Um, But I've also I've also got to bring this up uh, because we believe in being truthful and being fair here in the Freedom Hut always. Trump has really bad instincts about people. I don't know who convinced him to bring in Bolton. You know, because he was an adult in the room or something. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. Bolton is opposed to Trump on policy, and Bolton was not to be trusted, period. And yet they brought him in at the very top level. And now he's writing a book trashing Pompeo and Tillerson and Haley and you name it. Trashing these people. No personal honor, no integrity, a slime ball. That's the former national security advisor. I mean, you got to look at who Trump has put into these places from whether you're talking about the Mooch to Amarosa to Bolton to very bad choices about personnel. I think we should know who pushed for these personnel choices. Was it really Trump? I don't think so. I think we should know who in the White House was saying, yeah, Bolton's a good idea, because I got a couple of guesses. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Now, this is just fascinating. An example of the kind of extreme dishonest propaganda that you will be seeing 
as we get into the height of this deeply contentious election season. Um, but this is what they're this is what NPR, which is getting remember, getting funding from the taxpayer, folks. This is what NPR has to say here about a, a, a phenomenon of riotous protesters or just rioters. How about that, Buck? Use the proper term. Rioters who surround vehicles, which is a an obvious threat and deeply uh, terrifying to people that are stuck in the vehicle. Now, the, the bad guys they want the story to they want us to believe are the people that are ramming the protesters to get away. And I mean, let me let me just give you the NPR version of this story. This was amazing over the weekend. Right wing extremists are turning cars into weapons with reports of at least 50 vehicle ramming incidents since protests against police violence, just against police, actually violence erupted nationwide in late May. At least 18 are categorized as deliberate attacks. Another two, another two dozen are unclear as to motivation, according to a count released by a terrorism researcher at the University of Chicago Project on Security and Threats, whatever the hell that is. These 20 people facing prosecution include a state leader of the KKK, as well as a California man who was charged with attempted murder. Video footage of some of the uh, attack show drivers threatening protesters. You need to get out of the streets and stop these protests, one of them said. Okay, look. Are there some psychopaths who might try to mow down protesters with a car? Yes. But what do we make of the people who are gathering around vehicles, bashing them, smashing windows? Are you does the left believe that if you're just a person trying to drive your car and the maniacs on the streets from whatever the movement is called today, but it's always Democrats in the left, you're supposed to sit there and what? Let them smash your windshield, smash your driver's side window, pull you out of the car and beat you to death? If I were surrounded by an angry mob in a vehicle, guess what? I would hit the accelerator to escape to save my life, and I would not think twice about it. Maybe NPR should stop with the crap. Unknown motivations? How about not getting beaten to death by a bunch of psychotic, whiny, crybaby, left-wing protesters? How about that as a motivation for the unknown motivation events? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I do believe there were two standards of justice uh, during a period of time at the, toward the end of the Obama administration. And uh, all I can do about it is apply one standard of justice, the right standard of justice, and make sure we apply it to everybody equally. And that's what I'm trying to do. If we have two standards of justice, which we clearly do in this country for people based upon their politics, uh, then we don't really have a justice system worthy of the name, do we? So we need dramatic accountability and reform in all of this. And the first step in that is is going to be transparency, going to be honesty, truth. What really happened here? Now, I know that Attorney General Barr, who is the single most effective cabinet member in this administration, Attorney General Barr is willing to let the Durham probe out of Connecticut play out, which is a good thing. We want to see what that prosecutor, uh, Dur- John Durham, we want to see what he comes up with. He was a U.S. attorney in Connecticut, and he's looking at everything that happened in the Russia collusion case, collusion case and we're going to find out very soon, I hope, that the whole thing was really a sham. 
We already know it was a sham, but I mean, we're going to have the proof. We're going to be able to point to the documents, the interviews, the intercepts, whatever it may be, to show that this whole thing was cooked up to undo the results of a presidential election. The Democrats have, ha- have faced no accountability for this whatsoever. And the people in the federal bureaucracy, whether it's a Comey or a McCabe or a Strzok or a Page, have faced minimal, minimal accountability for what is already proven to be what has already proven to be misdeeds on their part based entirely in politics. That the president had, that President Trump had as effective a first three years in office as he did, while there was a soft coup, a rolling soft coup attempt against him, is really remarkable. Uh, And I'm glad to see that at least now he has an attorney general in place who understands this fight, understands the forces arrayed against him, and will do what is necessary to get something at least approaching justice. Because I'm telling you, they, they are cooking up. The left is cooking up an October surprise right now. I don't know what it is, but they are working you know, behind the scenes. People hate Trump so much that they will break their oath to the country. They will put themselves in legal uh, and criminal jeopardy. They'll leak. They'll break agreements. They'll break protocol. They'll do whatever they have to do to take this guy down. And that's why I'm at least pleased that the attorney general is up for this fight. He knows this enemy. He knows who these people are. And he understands what they're willing to do. There's also the latest on the chats, which the attorney general weighed in. I'll get to his comments on this in a second. But I just first want to say that the Chaz in Seattle, or I think they were calling it the CHOP, right? The Capitol Hill Occupy protest. But now I'm seeing the media still calling it the Chaz. Maybe they've decided that branding this as part of the Occupy movement is a step back for them. That as a PR issue, this is not what they want to do. But I must say the situation in Seattle continues on. There was this video that went viral over the weekend of the uh, of a few EMS people from the city of Seattle who were being told that there was a gunshot wound inside the Chaz in in the Seattle occupied zone, autonomous zone, no police allowed in, but they want EMS to come in. And the EMS kept calling into dispatch and they were saying, do we have do we have permission to go in? And you had this uh, this I think it might have even been this guy, Raz, who is viewed as a, a leader of this autonomous zone screaming at the people in the EMS vehicle saying, why won't you go in and save? And then, of course, it turned into, oh, this is racist. It's because the person who shot is black are not going in. No, that's just not true. The reason they're not going in is because you guys declared it an autonomous zone and police aren't allowed in. And there's a threat of violence if police try to go in. Well, if police aren't allowed in, guess what? EMS don't want to go in because they have no protection. They have no sense that they're not going to come under assault if they go in there. Who knows? See, the, the left hates rules that are enforced truly and in good faith. The left, hey, whether it's just laws or rules or agreements, the left opposes contracts. They replace contractual agreement. They replace law with emotion. What do I feel? What do I want? This is the elevation of childishness above civilization. And this keeps playing out in different places all across the country. One of them is this Seattle protest movement. 
Attorney General said that he does not believe that this is going to be able to just keep going on as is. Uh, Brandon, play clip six, please. They took over an area in Seattle, and they're guarding it with guns. Mm -hmm. They tried to do it in Portland as well. Does the federal government have a responsibility to protect citizens of our country if the cities and states won't do it? Because people's property have been damaged. There are people who don't want this autonomous area in Seattle around their homes. Right. Well, in the first instance, uh, it's the responsibility, obviously, of the local officials and then the state officials uh, to protect the rights of their citizens. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the federal government does have a responsibility ability to make sure that citizens are not deprived of their federal rights. So will you challenge that autonomous city? Will you sue the mayor? What can you do? Well, I don't want to get into specifics, but we're obviously keeping an eye on it. And as the president said, in, in due course, we may have to do something about it, but we can't let it go on indefinitely. Keep in mind that the Democrats are all about federal intervention whenever they want it. But then when they when they don't want it, the, the federal government's not allowed to do anything. You know, they want the federal government, say, to uh, pass laws to override what states uh, have decided for on the Second Amendment. They want the Supreme Court and therefore the federal government to weigh in and, and has weighed in on abortion, as we know, and make that the law in all 50 states or on gay marriage and make that the law in all 50 states. When it's something that they want federal action, there's always a justification for federal action and, and the dictate of D.C., but here, when it comes to the fundamental safety and security of a part of the country that is still under federal jurisdiction, everything in the United States technically falls under a, a degree of federal jurisdiction because it's America, right? The Seattle Autonomous Zone, yes, it's in the city of Seattle, in the state of Washington, but it is still technically America, which means that there has to be some understanding that the people there, you know, if, if we had Americans in harm's way, in Bulgaria or Somalia or you know, Bolivia, the U.S. government would be willing to or would be in a position to take action, right? And then that would be, be a federal matter because it's outside U.S. territory. But if people are truly in duress and in danger in a major U.S. city and they've been abandoned by the state, what happens then? The attorney general is not going to... Uh, show his cards here on what the specific the uh, specific legal justification for a federal action there would be but i, I believe if this guy's saying this can't go on indefinitely and they're going to do something he means it now you know trump has been saying a lot about this and i i think part of the frustration that we see is that the president of the united states is saying the right things about these protest movements is saying the right things about law and order and restoring uh, restoring police as into in, their rightful place as the guarantors of our public safety, right? especially in places like New York, Seattle, elsewhere where you can't own a gun. So you can't be the, you can't guarantee your own safety. Uh, the attorney general saying he might do something here. I, I think he just might. Uh, and he also was asked, this is all a Maria Bartiromo show on Fox business. He also was asked about the Bolton book, which I thought was, uh, was interesting. Play, uh, play clip eight, Brandon. 
I don't think it's too late because what we're asking is for him to complete the process before the book is published, complete the process of taking out classified material. And in our view, there remains there remains uh, very highly classified material in the book still. And we would like him to address that. And so under the law, we are, we are uh, bringing a civil action to enforce his agreement that he would do that before publishing. The remedy, if he doesn't complete it, is that he forfeits any money from that book to the government. That's what has to happen. There's no, there's no leeway on this. There's no, there's no uh, two sides to this argument. He either completes the government process here or the government can see because it's a contract. This isn't just about, you know, your, your First Amendment rights. This is also about you signed a you signed a binding legal agreement with the federal government. You're violating that. So they're going to take your money. They took I think it was seven million dollars in proceeds from the uh, from the book written by that guy. No easy day where one of the Navy SEALs on the bin Laden mission wrote a book about it and didn't go through the Pentagon clearance process. And guess what? He sold a ton of copies of that book. He made millions of dollars and they seized every penny. How can you seize every penny that a Navy SEAL who was risking his life and was on that mission made by violating this process and not seize every penny from Mustache Bolton? Doesn't make any sense, right? You can't have that. Can't be in that circumstance, in that situation. The double, we don't like double standards on the right. We conservatives object to double standards. Well, there's a clear one here if this is allowed. And and I got to tell you, everyone that I know who was supportive of Bolton to get this job in the first place should really be eating some humble pie. I mean, there should be accountability for the stupidity in pushing this. Uh, but I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. I do hope there's accountability for Bolton breaking uh, breaking his contract. And his, now Barr says he hasn't done it yet because they haven't. But the book, the copies of it are already out. So I, I don't understand what they think will be accomplished here other than trying to seem like they're being reasonable. But the book that's already out, because there are galley copies. I have friends who have copies of this book already. Uh, anything that's taken out of the next version of the book, everybody would know what the highly classified stuff is, which is effectively the government admitting what is highly classified that's already been published. That doesn't solve the problem at all. But they're going to have to take they're going to have to take mustache Bolton's winnings here or else or else nobody should have to submit their book for prepublication. Nobody should have to do that. That's what's at stake here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Last week, we talked about a few cases of people believing that a hate crime had occurred because of a noose that was found somewhere. This happened in Oakland, and this happened here in New York City in Harlem at what is called Marcus Garvey Park. And it turned out in both instances, uh, there was no hate crime at all. It was just a rope at a tree, not meant for a noose, not meant to be a weapon of terror. It was just a rope at a tree, in one case to haul up equipment, and in another case to allow somebody to engage in exercise. And in that, in that instance, the man engaging in the exercises was himself black and said this was not a noose. It has nothing to do with that. It's just ropes, five ropes hanging from a tree. And the city of Oakland continued with its investigation and made it clear to everybody that even if you have no intent 
when you have a rope near a tree or on a tree, even if you have no intent to terrify anybody, if someone can come along and say, oh, gosh, that reminds me of a noose, even if it's not a noose, it could be a hate crime. Intent does not matter. That was the statement of the mayor of Oakland, which was just a a shockingly uh, absurd, but also important for us to know that's what they believe. Even if you don't intend for an inanimate object to be a weapon of terror, it will still be investigated as a hate crime if people who are easily frightened and who are acting in a kind of hysteria think that it could be a weapon of terror. So, okay, now let's get to the latest instance of a noose being found, and it is in the garage stall of NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, who, as I understand it, and I do not know NASCAR well, so apologies if I miss any of the uh, backstory to all of uh, all, all of this, because I don't know much about Mr. Bubba Wallace. Um, but they found this new he's the, the most prominent African-American NASCAR driver in the country. And uh, they say that they found a, a noose in his garage stall. I'm so th- there are I have a few questions here. Sometimes when these incidents happen, I will just say no way because of X, Y or Z, because of the information we already have. I'm not there with this. There are a few possibilities. One Somebody would be heinous and stupid and evil enough to do this, although if that's the case, there are, because of social distancing now with NASCAR and everything, there are very few people that have access to this area. There are a lot of cameras around, and it would not be hard to find out who it is. I'm not saying it's impossible. I find it, though, not probable that that is what happened. Another possibility that this was someone who wanted to be raising awareness So using the noose as a racist symbol, but putting it there specifically so that then we could all talk about racism, even though the person putting it there themselves, they would say, well, I'm not racist if and when they are caught. This has happened many times. There have been hundreds of hoax hate crimes where this was the rationalization of the person who did the uh, who who placed the noose or whatever it was in, in a certain place in order to engage in a hate crime. Um, one part of this, and I'm checking as I'm on air with you to make sure I haven't missed this. I have yet to see a a photo. This was at the Talladega Speedway in Alabama. I have yet to see a photo of the noose, which I find very surprising. Now, the FBI is investigating. The FBI is investigating this as a as a hate crime. And I have a feeling we're going to find out a lot more in the days ahead. I, I don't have a clear look. If it is if someone did do this, that's a grotesque and terrible thing. And we all know that 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 doesn't even really uh, it doesn't have to be said on the show because you already know that's how I feel. But I'm wondering how this could happen, given the very tight access into a garage stall for a NASCAR driver like this. And I'm also wondering why we haven't seen a photo of the noose. Wouldn't that be all over the place? Wouldn't we see this? I have not yet. And I would just note that we've had a few, we've had a number of noose hoaxes in the last week. Uh, So I'm not clear yet on what this is going to turn into. I'm going to watch this closely. I have a feeling we're going to find out some very interesting details in the days ahead. And we're going to find out if this is real or not. I think that's true. Keep an eye on it, though, and keep an eye on how the media uh, puts this forward. If it happened, it's terrible and people should be punished. 
But let's find out who it is and let's find out what their motivations were. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, back by popular demand, of course, our friend and fellow uh, co-host on The First, as well as host of The Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse Kelly is with us now. He has been getting into some naughty stuff online to upset the liberals. Mr. Kelly, welcome back. Well, I don't I don't see how it's naughty, but we are we are out here and we're going to try to right the wrongs of racism in this country. And there's no older institution that is built on the blood of black slaves than universities like Yale and Brown and Duke and Rice and several others. And I will not rest until these names have been torn off the walls and these buildings either raised to the ground or turned into low income housing. So, Jesse, tell everybody how this all got started. You have a, a plan here to uh, to get Yale canceled, but you've now expanded. And Yale, I've been mentioning this for a while on the show. In fact, I, I brought this up some years ago that if we're going to do this whole cancellation thing because of ties to slavery, Elihu Yale, the founder of Yale, was a slave trader. Um, and there are others as well that have come up that are names, as, as you as you point out, very highly revered on the left. And so you got cancel Yale trending on Twitter over the weekend how how is this going so far it's going very well i'm glad people look what, what we need right now is the country to come together but what we really need is more bipartisanship you know they love to talk about bipartisanship and this is something people on the left and the right should agree on that the truth of the matter is this everybody who has a yale diploma on their wall everybody who's worn a yale shirt everyone who's graduated from there everyone who talks about yale everyone who has yale in their bio line on their social media account is uh, out there promoting the name of a man who was a slave trader there's no other way around that if you're going to tear down the statues of robert e lee uh robert e lee didn't have any any slaves elihu yale had lots of them the truth is Yale, the university itself, should change its name, become an all-black college, and disperse its $30 billion endowment to uh, black people as reparations. I'm just wondering, has anyone at Brown University also, the founders of Brown University, uh, were, were slave uh, slave traders? I, I want to know, has anyone on the left reached out to you, either publicly or in private, and said, you know what, Jesse, you're right. We do need to cancel Yale. Let's get this thing going. Publicly, no. Privately, and I'm not allowed to say uh, who these people are, yes, that they think, one, they see what I'm doing, two, they said it was hilarious, and three, they actually say they're totally with me on this, even if they disagree with my motivations for doing so. Let's get these names of slave owners and slave traders completely removed from our society, and maybe in so doing, we can punish the people who are responsible for the fact we now have generations of Americans who hate America. That's where people learn this so turnabout's fair play and you know i'm here in new york and the duke of york before he ascended to the throne in england was involved in the founding of the royal africa company which had a effectively a monopoly in british trade from uh, from west africa which included you know gold gems uh, ivory tusks and yes African slaves. So doesn't New York state also have to then change its name under the new rules? I mean, I mean, to your point, Jesse, you're right. These are the rules. So why shouldn't everyone live under the rules? These are the rules. And Buck, I, I am sorry to say, it, man, it's not just New York State. It's any business that has New York in its title. Let's be honest. There's nobody who's been trying to lead on the issues of 
of race than the New York Times. I mean, they've been they've been number one on this. The New York Times must change its name. Every single print edition of the New York Times, every tweet, everything they put out there that has the name New York in it is celebrating the name of a slave trader. And that's absolutely true. And until we stop that practice, we will never truly be free. Yes, if they're so excellent at journalism, calling themselves the Midtown Manhattan Tribune seems like it's a completely legitimate compromise under the circumstances. In fact, Jesse, if they won't do this, just as if Yale does not change its name, wouldn't we have to ask about their commitment to the cause of diversity and inclusion and facing up to our past and the inequities and the immorality of slavery? I mean, aren't they then suspect? Maybe maybe they have a little bit of an affinity here for some causes and beliefs that we're just unearthing now. Buck, I'm starting to have serious concerns that maybe these people on the left aren't genuine about race relations. Maybe they just hate America and want to rip it apart. I certainly don't want to accuse anybody of that. But if you can print the New York Times, but you have to tear down Robert E. Lee, what else am I supposed to think, Buck? We have Hillary Clinton, who not only went to slave trade state, I'm talking about Yale. We have Hillary Clinton, who has since returned to Yale to give speeches there. This lady is standing on the back of dead black slaves giving speeches at Yale University. I don't know if she's serious about race relations in America. Speaking of Jesse Kelly, host of I'm Right with Jesse Kelly on The First and also host of the Jesse Kelly Show on radio. Jesse, uh, has anyone on the left tried to confront you on this and make a case as to why you're wrong? Because I have to say, I can't even think of what a defense based upon, as you point out, the rules as they are now established and being forced upon all the rest of us. I can't even think of what the opposition could to, to this movement to cancel Yale, to cancel Brown University, to cancel New York, to cancel the New York Times name. I can't even think of what their good faith argument would be other than, oh, no, we like this because we benefit from this name. Is there another argument? The only argument I've seen, Buck, from this side is they'll do this thing where I got this one today, where Brown University actually put out a report examining its own racist history. And that's what they'll say. They'll put out a report. Well, wait a minute. Everybody knows the Confederacy was fighting against slavery. We've, we've, we have our report there. We have the report knowing the Confederacy was fi- fighting for slaves. So why do we have to then remove Confederate generals? A report is not good enough. The rules are, as we currently stand, if you were involved in slavery and some of these people were heavily involved, your likeness, your name must be completely removed from the public square in every possible way. Those are the rules. I did not make these rules. I certainly would never have made these rules. But if that's what we've got to do, then that's what we've got to do. So it's time to burn down the American university system. Do you think that this is the only way that we can, other than by refusing to bend a knee to the mob, that we can start to effectively fight back in a cultural sense about this, you know, effectively meaning that we have to turn cancel culture on itself, that the cancelers have to become the cancelees. The truth is, Buck, that we are we, we like to comfort ourselves with the with the saying of we're the silent majority. We are absolutely not. Numbers wise, we may be. The left owns the pillars of power in the United States of America, all of them. We even have a Republican president who's been completely hemmed in with a hundred percent bogus investigations for the first three years of his presidency. We have we're not losing the culture war. We've lost it. We are we've lost it. We are now the rebel guerrilla force in the United States of America, and therefore we must 
conduct our battles the same way a guerrilla force does, and that is using the enemy's weapons against them. It is our only choice. That's the bad news. The good news is it's a lot of fun. Well, General Jesse Kelly, what comes next in this war of attrition against the left? Well, once we have taken care of the American university system, the truth of the matter is this. We're going to have to set our sights on corporate America. Corporate America has been very loud, very loud about how not racist they are recently, about how woke they are. And so I think once we've taken care of the university system, we will find out these corporations do a little digging and find out really where they come from, too. Jesse Kelly got cancel Yale, the trend nationally on Twitter, everybody. He wants the left to live by its own rules. You should listen to what Jesse's got to, sh- uh, got to say on the Jesse on the Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse, thanks so much, man. Be good, brother. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I want to introduce this audience to a new voice from down in Texas, one of our absolute favorite states in this wonderful country. We have with us now Will Douglas. He is a a Dallas businessman who is challenging incumbent Democrat Retta Bowers for a seat on Texas's 113th district. Good to have you all, Mr. Will. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Buck. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. So you're you're running for a seat that's uh, east East Dallas and and going out a little bit into the countryside. Uh, First, I want to ask you, we're getting a lot of national press attention on the on what's going on with Texas with COVID-19 and the reopening. What can you tell us about things? I mean, is, is this is this some fear mongering from the Democrat left or are you particularly worried about how things are going in Texas and more specifically in the Dallas area? Well, first, first of all, I think Governor Abbott's done an incredible job here in Texas. Uh, we've, we've really straddled the line on, on making sure that we're keeping people safe and at the same time making sure that, that businesses are able to open back up and, and keep our economy going uh, as strong as we possibly can. Uh, I think the, the spikes that you're seeing recently, um, a lot of them are, are younger people. And, and as we know, as, as restaurants and bars open back up, younger people were the ones who were going in to those establishments and and they're also the ones that are less likely to be um impacted by um you know by uh, systemic uh covid so um they're they're asymptomatic they're all you know wandering around going into places and they're less likely to die from it so uh naturally there's there's going to be increases as things open back up and have you seen a, a an influx into the Dallas area? Because I talk on this show fairly regularly about how in New York, you had 400,000 people who have left the city since the start of COVID. And many of them are saying they're not planning on coming back. They're trying to enroll their kids in schools outside of New York City, where I'm currently doing this show. Uh, people are going to Texas. They're going to Florida. They're moving out of this state. Have you seen some of that influx yet in the Dallas area or has it not really hit? I know it's hit Austin. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it yet due to, you know, their reasoning being from COVID, but I know it's coming and and I can't blame them. Why would you not? Uh, you know, Texas, you know, I guess we, we have a reputation as a flyover state, but uh, I think Texas is the future of this country. Uh, you look at what, what Texas has built here. I mean, we're a bastion of free market enterprise. Uh, I moved here from Oklahoma seven years ago with you know, nothing in my pocket except student loan debt and some fire in my belly. And there's plenty of opportunities here. And, you know, you come here, you work hard, you do the right things. You can live the American dream. 
Uh, and that's why I'm running. Uh, it's, it's important for me that, that Texas stays red and the, the strong Republican leadership that, that has built, uh, that built this incredible state, uh, we have to keep it. Um, I was, Buck, uh, one of the reasons I'm running is I tried to do business in New York, in Manhattan. I tried to um, acquire a pharmacy up there. And you guys, y'all make it really hard on small businesses. Uh, really tough to get small businesses off the ground. And, oh, no, no. Well, we are excellent. Become that. We are excellent in New York City at crushing ingenuity, free enterprise, and, and the operating of the, of the free market. That's really where New York City particularly uh, does a great job and, and really, really high taxes. So there's that, there's that too. Uh, but if you're a huge yeah. corporation and you're connected, then you're in good shape. So, that, so those folks can be very, very happy about that. I mean, I, I just want to ask you, uh, Will, before we let you get back to running for your seat down in, uh, in Texas, east of Dallas, 113th Congressional District. So tell me this, what are you going to do? And what's the, what's the top priority if you beat the uh, the liberal incumbent in that seat well you know it, it, had you asked me that six months ago um you know i would have said you know the focus would be on small business the focus would be on education um on on crime in, the, in that district but now uh post covid the most important thing is jobs i mean we've got two to three million texans without a job and and if a politician tells you that anything else is more important than jobs in the economy, uh, I think they're lying to you. And so that's why it's more important than ever for our state to have as many representatives with, with small business experience as possible. Um, I'm a small business owner. I, I have you know multiple employees. I had to file for PPP loans. Uh, I know firsthand what small business owners have gone through these last several months. And I have an idea of what it's gonna take to get our, uh, get our economy roaring back and, and thriving again. Will Douglas, everybody, running for Congress down in uh, the Dallas area. Will, best of luck. We hope you come out on top, and we hope you'll come back on the show and tell us what your plans are once you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Buck. I appreciate it. All right, so you're seeing so much of this uh, national reporting on, on the COVID situation. I just want to tell you, it couldn't be more clear that they are, they are drilling down specifically on Texas and Florida and saying that look at what's going on here. Oh, my gosh, these these reckless Florida is not even a pure red state. Obviously, it's a bit of a purple state trending red. But but look at what they've got a Republican governor and they've managed to beat the odds here. Somehow the bad guys in this story, when you look at leadership, are Governor Abbott of Texas and the uh, governor uh, governor of Florida, DeSantis, and really Governor Cuomo here in New York gets a pass. Why? Because he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. He's, he's now saying that he blames the federal government because the federal government didn't focus on COVID coming from Europe. The focus was on it coming from China, which he says was wrong, which is not true, of course. It was from China to Europe, then to the United States. But there are a whole bunch of very obvious political reasons why he has shifted that focus. But I... I keep looking at the numbers and we had at worst over the course of a week about a four percent incline in cases nationwide hospitalizations for covid for serious covid cases and deaths from covid are way down and continuing to trend down do not believe the fear mongers out there do not believe the people that will clearly benefit from trying to turn this 
into something that it's, you know, into yet again, uh, you know, lockdown 2.0 to turn this into, oh my gosh, we've underestimated this. Where is your mask? Why aren't you wearing masks out in public? Well, because in open air, masks are effectively irrelevant. There's no reason that we should be forced to wear masks in sunshine, in the open, not in dense proximity to people uh, and, and indoors. But this has become very, very political. It's also why there was such a focus on whether people were wearing masks at the Trump rally. Uh, young people, we have data now. We did not have data in the beginning the way we do now, the beginning of the pandemic. The data tells us that young people, meaning people under 40 are at very low risk. People under 20 are at effectively no risk. So if you're 19, you know, you want to be careful that you don't get COVID and give it to grandma or grandpa, but your risk from COVID is, is almost zero. Which brings us back to the early days of the spring break situation with COVID-19, where they were making fun of these spring breakers for not staying locked at home and everything else. Turns out they weren't really at high risk. And as long as they're careful about who they're around from the high risk population, you can cer- certainly make a case that they should be able to live their lives again. But you see, the left hasn't made this transition People who are reasonable and look at the data uh, understand that we can't keep doing the lockdown. And that has been from the beginning. The, you know, let's not let the cure be worse than the disease. Trump said it. This goes back to Easter. I mean, this goes back for months now. But the left hasn't been willing to make this concession and say, look, no matter what, we should not lock down again the way that we have. No matter what. We can't do this. We can't put society through this. Given what we know about this disease and the lethality and the risks from it, it would be reckless and irresponsible to lock down again, even if there is a spike in some places, even if it trends up in some places. You know, you're you're putting so much pressure on society and it's wrong. It's wrong that the government is making stupid decisions around this and we cannot allow them to suspend the Constitution, suspend our rights, suspend free enterprise and the and huge sectors of the economy, because ultimately this is about shutting down now so that Trump can't win the election in the fall. They'll, they'll pretend that it's all about saving lives. But if you look at the national media giving Cuomo a pass on all this, it's not about lives, it's about beating Trump, just like so much else that we see. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, roll call time, everybody. And as you know, we don't have producer Mark in this week. He is uh, off for the week. So if there's any, you know, weird things that happen on the show, any weird sounds, if uh, I forget what day it is or something like that, Mark's not here. Producer Brandon, though, is, is keeping the house in order. Uh, but just so you know, we're, we're kind of doing things a little differently right now. And uh, let's get to it. Sarah is the first up. Hey, Buck, thanks so much for your call for wartime conservatives. I wanted to share what has recently happened in Washington state. Our far left state legislature uh, passed a partisan middle of the night bill that requires all K to 12 schools to teach comprehensive sex ed approved curricula largely provided by Planned Parenthood. The people of Washington rose up against this lunacy We began collecting signatures to put this bill before the voters in November. We needed 130,000 signatures to do so. In the middle of the pandemic lockdown, we rose up and collected a historic number of signatures, 266,000, over twice what was needed in the highest number of signatures ever collected on any piece of legislation. 
and virtual uh, virtually zero coverage from the press. Not a peep awake Christians and conservatives time to get busy and take our country back. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Well, Sarah, thank you. And you keep up the good work. Look at this. Getting signatures, taking action, gathering together. Having your voices heard on an issue like this. Yeah, I don't even know what this sex ed curriculum is, but uh, K through 12 schools. First, I would want to know at what age do they start this sex ed teaching? And I would want to know what they are teaching. And I'm sure it's a lot of stuff that people would find pretty objectionable. Remember this. For those who are wondering what the real implications are of that Supreme Court decision from last week written by Gorsuch selling out constitutional conservatism so he doesn't have to be the bad guy on trans equality and trans rights and the LGBTQ plus agenda. I believe that is the I believe that is the full acronym of the movement. Uh, But what Gorsuch did means that you're going to see a lot more um, aggressive teaching and some would argue brainwashing of very young people into the belief that you remember it's now now it's not a belief anymore now it's a civil rights issue because of the supreme court decision hasn't been dealt with by the state legislatures has not been allowed to be voted on no 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 someone who decides without any physical or biological basis for it just because they feel someone who decides that they are a different gender is now to be as a matter of law treated and even spoken to as if they were that gender or else You can imagine what they're going to be teaching your kids. And anyone who brings up the science, science, I thought we liked science, right? I thought the left was all about it. Anyone who brings up the science on this and, for example, points to the contagion that occurs among young people when there's one 12-year-old who decides that, let's say, he is transgender, then there all of a sudden are other 11- and 12-year-olds who decide that they are transgender and statistically, it is not possible that this is just a pocket of transgenderism that has been discovered. This is a psychological contagious effect, a contagion effect that happens where people who are very young and impressionable say, oh, that person is now uh, getting a lot of attention and they're they're all of a sudden very important to a whole bunch of adults around them. Maybe I am, too. Or or even if it's as simple as that person has certain feelings, I have those feelings sometimes, too. But I'm not going to wait for puberty and for growth and for maturity. I'm going to make a decision now about puberty blockers and hormone therapy and perhaps even relatively soon radical surgery. That will affect me for the rest of my life. And don't expect anyone to present you with the truth about the happiness of those who who have uh, gender, what is now called gender affirmation surgery, When it is clearly it is at a minimum gender transition surgery. Okay, they call it affirmation. This is a political trick. It's gender transition. And and if you look at the um, happiness or lack thereof of people long term who have that surgery, the data is quite clear. But the data cannot be allowed to interfere with an important political narrative. And as we know, the LGBTQ plus agenda is essential to the left. There can be no challenging it. And and now as a function of law, you risk your career, you risk your money, you risk so much if you try to challenge it openly. As I've said now, now we're at a point where you better call someone who was a he, not just a she, but maybe Z or they, 
That's right. Plural pronouns for individuals. You're going to have to do this in the workplace or else. And you're not going to be you're not going to be viewed as a hero. You're going to be one lone voice. The media destroys. You will be charging the machine gun nests, my friends, without a plan to take it. So don't do it. I had a friend recently asked me, his company is coming under pressure from Black Lives Matter activists. And he said, you know, what do, what do you think I should do? And I said, I don't want your company to get in. I don't want you to be boycott or something. You know, if, if this is not something where you're comfortable, if you don't have the ability right now to comfortably take that stand and you can't don't get crushed to just be another example the left uses. Not everyone should be in the fight. Everyone should be in the fight in the ways that they can that are sensible. But, you know, don't don't sacrifice yourself to the mob for no reason. That does that does no one any good. I know there's complexity here. It's very easy. People say, yeah, you know, get in the fight, do it, do it. No, no, no. Be savvy about it. Be savvy about it. And but look, see, Sarah's writing in from Washington and she's telling us about an instance where they did. They took public action. They were savvy and they won the fight or they're winning the fight, I should say. So that's that's how you got to do it. Ryan Buck, God willing, after Trump wins a second term, is it time for him to pursue expanding the Supreme Court? After the DACA ruling, I can't see any harm in the pursuit. The court has to be fixed somehow. At the very least, it puts the left on record arguing against it. Uh, My shield has been taken away by those who are supposed to hold it high. Ryan, I don't think that the answer from our side should be court packing uh, because that's what the left always says they want to do when they don't get their way. So effectively, once you open that door, the left will do it. They'll They'll do it even more. Um, I I don't have a good answer for you, though, about how do we deal with the fact that the left gets judges that are activist, leftist, Democrats, and they are entirely reliable. You get a Democrat put forward a a left wing judge. Guess what? That judge is going to give you what you need on the big cases. Ninety nine times out of really 100 times out of 100 with conservatives like Roberts and Gorsuch. Oh, my. It's more like a 50 50 proposition on any case where conservatives, uh, conservatives and constitutionalism are, at, are involved, right? It's a 50-50 proposition. You know, the, the best judge currently sitting on well, no, the two best judges currently on the Supreme Court are Clarence Thomas and Alito. They're the two best right now. They're, they're the two that are principled and stalwarts, and they keep it real. Uh, everybody else on that court, I mean, Kavanaugh's okay. He's, he's been pretty good so far. But not great. On process, though, he at least is willing to say the left is insane and making it up as they go along. Like Kavanaugh will say, you're just pretending words have no meaning because you want a certain thing. That's not okay. Even if I like the thing that you're trying to achieve with that, that's the Kavanaugh position. But he at least believes in the law is a thing. I mean, the left is just like, whatever we want, let's do it. And Roberts goes along with it. And even Gorsuch will go along with it. So, no, Ryan, I don't think that court packing is the answer. But if you're saying, Buck, what is the answer? I don't have it right now. I don't think anybody does. I I just I can't think of I can't think of what it would be, quite honestly. Matthew Buck, you're awesome. Never missed the show. The other day you had an email that said Gorsuch had an ulterior motive for his ruling to define sex. You asked how that would ever come up. I think there will be tons of lawsuits in the coming months. Uh, The biggest one that comes to mind is the recent law passed in Idaho that bans transgendered athletes from competing in sports opposite their biological gender. 
Now, I don't think Gorsuch thought many steps ahead to plan this, but it is a certainty that case will eventually get to SCOTUS. And in order to settle it, they will have to make a ruling on the definition of sex. Stay safe in New York. Keep the fight. Shields high. Uh, Matthew, I'm familiar with this. I believe the Department of Justice under Barr has said that they will defend uh, the the ban on the transgendered athletes in Idaho. But this is a very good example of just how aggressive and how fast the left moves on these issues and how it starts with something that sounds somewhat reasonable and very rapidly uh, changes into something else. Right. All, all of a sudden, it's not, hey, let's just be nice to people and be accepting of them, even if they're even even if they're having a lot of you know emotional and psychological difficulties with this position and everything else. And, you know, let's make sure that we're helpful and kind to them, which, you know, I think we should always be helpful and kind to people. But it goes from that to do what we say or else pretend that a 200 pound male competing in, you know, women's lacrosse doesn't have a biological advantage over all the women in that sport. You better pretend or else. Well, this is stupid. This is idiocy. Uh, You know, I, I see so many leftists who are so pathetic and cowardly that they'll even say things like, Oh, you know, th- this, you know, I-, I know plenty of women. Whenever a conservative brings this up, this happens all the time. Uh, I know plenty of women who could kick your butt. And it's like, no, you really if, if you're talking about a 200 pound, six foot tall male who's in who's in you know, reasonable condition in his 30s or 40s or 20s. You don't know plenty of women who could beat him up. OK, so stop saying this. Stop being an idiot. Men are on average for the same biological structure, meaning the same basic height and even weight. Men are, on average, double the upper body muscle of women because of biology. All right. This is why it's so, you know, it's so important to protect women. It's why it's such an odious thing for anyone to ever lay a hand on a woman. I mean, for there's a lot of reasons for it. But one of them is just that women are not able to defend themselves against even you. your average woman cannot defend herself with her hands effectively against an average male. Now, you know, all policy is based upon what is generally true. There will always be exceptions in any policy, but to find, to, to, to be living in a society where the, the existence of extremes and exceptions is allowed to undermine policy that is generally to the good and true, then we have a country, then we have what we have right now where you have madness. I mean, this is absurd. This is insane. Everyone understands. I mean, if, if I, I was a decent, just decent high school athlete in a few sports and I rode crew for two years in college and and I'm not trying to this is not about me but I can just tell you having played I played soccer with the women's soccer team in the offseason for fun sometimes you know they'd bring guys over to we do these you know mixed team uh you know for uh, exhibitions and such Uh, I played basketball at the women's basketball team I would have been a three-sport all-american in in D3 uh, women's athletics. And that's not bragging because anybody, any guy that I know who was a decent high school athlete, certainly the D3 level would have been the same thing. Three-sport All-American. Maybe a D1 three-sport All-American, quite honestly. And we all know this, right? Any, any guy listening to this who's reasonably athletic, who is pretty okay at sports at the high school level, I'm not even talking about college, you'd be like, yeah, I could have played D1 college athletics. And that's, that's not bragging. This is just a biological reality, folks. This is and you even have the left so insane now that they'll say, well, you know, a transgendered MMA fighter. And that already has happened with Fallon Fox, transgendered MMA fighter, just annihilating women in the ring. And we're supposed to believe that this is like normal and safe and OK. The left, the left 
will sacrifice women and womanhood and femininity and that the female gender and just ask J.K. Rowling about this. The female gender is being destroyed by the left in the name of expanding gender equality. It's a I know it's quite a conundrum, but that's what's happening. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call coming your way now. And I just want to say that I, I always appreciate everybody writing in and sharing your thoughts here. And make sure you call in, too, this week. We'll get to uh, voicemails on Friday, maybe even some Thursday voicemails this week. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Also, make sure you go to bucksexton.com. I will have an original editorial up, if not tomorrow, certainly by the next day. Going to be writing every week as well as posting uh, more and uh, more from the show, pieces written by the team. You need to check it out, bucksexton.com. We want as many of us possible to go into this site on a daily basis. You can also listen to the podcast there. And please do spread the word about the podcast. It feels like everybody and their grandma has a podcast these days. You got these major news networks that are releasing their broadcasts as podcasts. I don't know why anybody would listen to this. I mean, it's but people do. Uh, so... More than ever, we really need you to spread the word and get people on to Team Buck uh, because we want to make sure that we stay well into the top 100 podcasts where we currently are and really want to continue to push. We got down to about top 60 at one point about a month ago, I think, and we really wanted to break into the top 50. So we're hoping to do that, and we need your help to do that by just telling people, hey, check out this guy, Buck Sexton. If every person listening to this just on podcast, never mind the huge audience we have on radio. If every person listens on podcast across the country, shared it with one person, we would be uh, in the top, certainly in the top 50, maybe in the top 25 overnight. So all I need is everybody listen to podcasts. I get one person to start listening in with the team. And that would be fantastic. All right, let's get back to it. Um, we were at, let me see, John. Oh, wait, no, we'll do Matthew. I'm sorry. Buck, you're awesome. Never miss the show. Well, thank you so much. I really I really appreciate that. And we we try to be awesome here. We're, we're doing everything we can to be as awesome as we can. Um, what do we got here? Uh, he says the other day you said that Gorsuch. Oh, no, Matt, we already did Matthew. My bad. All right, here we go. John, Buck, if you don't, I don't know if you watched Trump's rally, but I'm assuming you did. When it started, he seemed tired and somewhat defeated. But wow, once he got going, he was unstoppable. It was just what we needed. I loved his shots at the fake news, especially when he just tossed his glass of water to the side to work the crowd. Feels like the tides might be turning back or in the worlds of Michael Scott. Oh, how the turntables. Yes, indeed, John. Good Michael Scott reference. And God bless. And thank you very much for listening to the show. An honor to have you here with us all right everybody that's going to be it for today thank you so much for uh, for tuning in please do pass the buck get one person that you know in your life one conservative or just one moderate one one individual who needs a little more politi- uh, political analysis in their life to listen we'll be back with you tomorrow same time and place i know you all miss producer mark i'll tell him you said hi shields high